Porto makes a run ahead of it. Burkamp suddenly changed pace through the centre. It's Burkamp! That's magnificent! The move, and then this, which left Dabby's ass totally stranded. Hello and welcome to A Bad Cat Wonderland. We are an Arsenal podcast. Oh, I went all pirate then. We are. Uh, my name is Chris. I am your host and uh, delighted to say we're back with another fantastic guest. Two in the space of a week. We're spoiling you. Uh, today I'm joined by Mr. Charles Watts. Charles, how are you doing? I'm very good, Chris. How are you, mate? Thank you for having me on. Oh, more than welcome. Thank you for giving up your time. I know you're a very busy man, which we'll certainly come on to shortly. But uh, yeah, thank you for coming on. Um, we wanted to get you on really today just to obviously talk a little bit about Arsenal and, and whatnot as well. But uh, I'm always interested to know a bit about the people we have on and their backstories, etc. Um, so let's jump straight in. Tell me a bit about how you kind of got into the industry. Um, we'll come on to your, your love for the club in a second. But just in general, how did you find moving into this industry and, and how how has it sort of settled for you since it's become a career? Oh, to go back a fair bit here. Um, I mean, how I got into it, it was always, I think basically since I realised I, realized I wasn't going to be good enough to play football. <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> yeah, to any decent standard and get paid for it. I thought, what's the next best thing? Uh, let's watch it and write about it. And I was... I wasn't great at school by any means. Um, and and I was like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? It, it had to be, it was always going to be about football for me. It's always just been my passion. And so as school was sort of drifting towards the end and it was drifting for me, I I remember in 1998, I wrote for the, we did a sort of school paper type thing. And I took on reporting on the World Cup, 1998, France, 1998. And, you know, I loved it. I loved doing that. I loved writing about it, writing about the matches and, that sort of gave me the bug to think, you know, when I when I leave school, that's what I'm going to go into. And I left at 18. I went traveling for a year, sort of got back from that and sort of looked around, joined my first journalism course. And I remember that really, really well. The first day of my journalism course, we all had to stand up at the front of the class and say, why, why do you want to get into journalism? And tell us why. And so I went up there and I thought, I want to get paid to watch Arsenal. <laughs> it was just, that's what it was always going to be for me. And um, you know, it took a long time to get there. I sort of started off. I went into a, I was a news reporter, junior news reporter for the local paper where I where I grew up, where I live. Um, did that for a few years. So I had to go through various journalism exams. Finally, sort of moved into sport after a few years. Uh, moved over to Reading, started covering Reading and the local non-league scene around there. Um, moved around a couple of places. Ended up back at Reading at the evening paper. And that was where I sort of then I became like the senior Red and FC reporter for the first time there and um, had a great time, loved it. And um, it was a really interesting period in Reading's sort of recent history. And um, and it was going really well. But then I got the opportunity to to move and, and start covering Arsenal. And, um, you know, there was just <laughs> there was no way I was going to say no to that. And that's when I sort of moved to Football London, when Football London launched and um since then you know i've never really looked back and you know that's a very short version of the story but it was yeah it was always going to be something like this for me but the dream was always covering arsenal 
Good stuff, good stuff. And uh, you are an Arsenal fan, of course. And something that, that has always, two things that stood out for me. One, actually, you brought up recently um, when you said on one of your YouTube videos, you were like, I'm actually quite looking forward to getting back to being a fan again mm-hmm. um, and sitting in my seat. I want to sort of uh, delve deeper into that and, and where your love for Arsenal came. And if you can tell us or touch on a little bit about your relationship with your dad, because it's it's so wholesome um, and it like genuinely that mean that genuinely it's, it's just such a nice thing when you can see two members of a family who share that that love. I think it's really, really wholesome. Where did where did the bond come from? Is it literally from your dad down through the family generation and, and why Arsenal? Yeah, well, my dad grew up in Holloway, you know, went to school in Holloway, born on Hornsey Road. And, you know, he was just always an Arsenal. He was Arsenal through and through. He's been going since the 50s. Um, you know, grew up worshiping Jack Kelsey and and everyone like that. And amazing, I've got two older brothers, and neither of them are Arsenal fans. Somehow they managed to sort of slip through the net. But um, when I was growing up, we'd just signed Charlie Nicholas, who had the same name as me. You know, and it was just like, yeah, it was it was just always Arsenal for me. I mean, every picture that there is of me as a sort of four or five year old. No, obviously, I can't remember, but I'm wearing Arsenal kits and. Um, and so that was it. It was just me and my dad. We went. He took me to my first game in the 88-89 season. Not a bad season to start going. Uh, I think first game was Sheffield Wednesday at Highbury in January. That that season was one all. Um, Merson scored for us. Inve Verardi scored for Sheffield Wednesday. I always remember that. He opened the scoring and Merson equalised. And you know, from then on, it was just you know, I never looked back. I was like everyone when he sort of walk up those steps at Highbury for the first time, see the pitch for the first time, the smells, the noises, everything about it. I was just absolutely hooked. I mean, I was, I was just obsessive about it. My whole room was covered in Arsenal posters from top to bottom, you know, Smith, Rocky, Merce, and then Wrighty. I was like everyone else in that era, obsessed by Wrighty. He was my hero, still is. <laughs> and, um, uh, and that was it. And yeah, I mean, my dad just spent, you know, every Saturday or every other Saturday for 30 odd years sitting next to each other, first at Highbury and then at the Emirates. And, you know, when I started doing my job and I started doing Reading and fortunately, a lot of the time, Arsenal was tending to play on different days at the weekend. We play on Sundays a lot. So I could still go to the games, most of them. I didn't miss too many. But when I moved into actually covering Arsenal, that all changed. It was a really weird thing to suddenly get used to not sitting next to my dad anymore. I was sitting in a press box and you know where he sits at the Emirates is directly opposite. I, it couldn't be more directly opposite where I sit. And so you know, every game it's like he'll message and we'll have a wave and stuff like that. And so we still see each other occasionally. I'll sort of leg it around the whole concourse and go and see him when he gets here before a match. But I don't know, last year was such, last season was such an amazing season. And I don't know. I wasn't. I wasn't sure if I was ever going to get that sort of feeling back watching Arsenal than I did last season. You know, I loved it. And but the the one thing that sort of always nagged away at me was the fact I was sitting in the press box and I wasn't sitting in my seat. And there were so many dramatic games. So you know, atmosphere was the best it's ever been at the Emirates. And I just find myself looking over at my seat all the time, just thinking, oh, I wish I was there. You know, I don't get me wrong. I'm so privileged to do what I do and to be in the position that I'm in. But it was still, I just wish I was there for so many of those matches. The Man United game, the last minute when it was Reese Nelson against Bournemouth and and things like that. And um, it was just beginning to bug me a little bit more that I was I was sitting in a press box. And and so I, I was sort of toying with the idea of of potentially changing things. And, and then there was some sort of changes started happening where I was at goal as well. And my job was going to change. And it all sort of coincided 
and I thought, you know what, this is a season to to go back to being a fan and um, start doing things a little bit differently. And I can't, I can't wait. Honestly, I, I can't wait. My son now he's seven as well, and haven't taken to him a game yet. And again, as he's been getting older, and I'm thinking, you know, sitting in a press box, I can't take, I can't go to football with my son, and that's so, such an important part of my life for my dad, and always will be. It's something I'll treasure forever. And the thought of not being able to do that with my son as he was getting older, again, was something that was beginning to play on my mind. And so, again, all those sort of jigsaw puzzles sort of fit together and ended up sort of with me taking the decision that I did uh, at the start of the, well, start of the season, end of last season, start of the summer. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, I just, I just remember, this, I think it was during the pandemic in particular when obviously we were all stuck at home and some of the content that you were um, that you were producing at that time and like just talking about some of the things and sharing some of your experiences um, at games and that it just it just saw something about it I don't know something it stuck with me and you mentioned that that first moment of walking up the steps at Highbury I think that's one of the things that um, Fever Pitch captures brilliantly that scene of just going up and then looking down the green I still remember that as a youngster myself how do you how do you find based on what you just said there about you clearly like a very passionate fan and, and the love for the game and, and the love for being a fan in, in itself how difficult can it be at times to transition between work and Arsenal? Like if somebody's sort of, I don't know, sitting around you and is giving a player some stick or whatnot, and you know, you've got to get your journalistic head on, I suppose. How difficult is it to separate the two between work and pleasure for the same entity, essentially? Yeah, to be honest, I, I don't think it's actually been that difficult because it is a job and I know it's my job and I know I've got a, you know, I can't, when I'm there, I can't be reporting on it just purely as a fan and, um, it, I, you know, I have to be looking at it for a journalistic point of view. And, you know, behind the scenes, everyone knows full well that I'm an Arsenal fan and all the other journalists know it and take the mickey out of me as uh, things go wrong, which they had been doing a lot until last season. Um, but, I don't, yeah, I don't I don't think it's been that, that it was that tough. I always found it relatively, relatively easy to separate the fan and, and then, you know, giving my take as a journalist on what was going on at the club. And um, so it wasn't, it wasn't the most difficult. I can understand a lot of people think it potentially might be, but it, it wasn't, to be honest. I thought it was, it was, it was quite an easy thing to do. Good stuff. Good stuff. And in terms of your kind of uh, journey, like obviously into the journalistic side of things, how does working with Mikel Arteta and, and how he's done things with Arsenal, how does that compare to the earlier days because when did you move across from Reading to cover Arsenal was it first it was my first season was covering so basically Wenger's final season was my first season so I, ah. I moved over to start that so I got the final year of final year of Wenger and then obviously Unai and then and then Mikel and it how was very they, different very different yeah I was gonna say how, how do they because you, you've literally got three very different characters there in Arsene and of course the legacy that comes with Arsene you've got Unai who um, I don't know if you do you agree, but I think he got I think he got a bit of a raw deal. You know, I don't get it wrong, there were some things that clearly didn't work, but it felt like the dare I say at the David Moyes appointment, it was the one after the Arsenal appointment, it just something didn't click. And now you've gone to Mikel where I think it's fair to say there was some doubts in the first season, despite the FA Cup, things sort of went a bit wonky after that. And and as you said, to turn it round to what we had last season and, and we literally to use the song, we got our Arsenal back. How was it? How different has it been covering the club under those three stewardships? Yeah, it's been very different. I mean, I actually got that wrong. I was there for the final two seasons of Wenger, um, uh, and that was a weird period that time. The last two years of Wenger, obviously, the mood wasn't great around the place. There was the high of the FA Cup win in his um, the first season that I was covering them, which was amazing, and you know, that was such a brilliant win, such a brilliant performance, but. 
I sort of left. You kind of left that. I remember it. I was in the press box and he left that FA Cup final and thinking that was so good, but that's not going to change anything. And I sort of compare that to when Mikel won the, his FA Cup. I talk about this a little bit in the book, actually, and the feeling of you sort of came away from that cup win with Mikel and thinking this is the start of something new. This is exciting. This is fresh. But you kind of came away from the FA Cup win with Wenger in that, that first season that I was covering them thinking as brilliant as a day as that was, and it was a spectacular day and a brilliant performance. It was like, it's, it's just going to be more of the same after this. Cause you can't, there was just, I couldn't escape the fact that I knew Wenger was, he should have gone a long time before he did as much as I respect the bloke. And I, I do have so much respect for him. He's one of the guys I respect most on this planet. Um, but there was just that mood around the club when I was first there of just going through the motions. Everyone was waiting for Arsenal to go. It knew it was going to happen, but he didn't know when, and it was just going through the motions. And, um, you know, when it did happen, I thought it was a good chance to for a fresh start. Obviously, the appointment of Unai just didn't work out at all, and he was such a nice guy. He really was, but it was just so glaringly obvious to everyone who followed the club around that time that it wasn't working at all. I mean, the first season wasn't bad, but I still look back at that and think a lot of that was almost Arsene Wenger muscle memory of that team. It wasn't really, didn't really feel too much like Arsene, uh, like Unai's team. And I think he, he benefited quite a little bit from that. And the players just didn't get him. And it was, I remember I was down there the day, the game before he got sacked, because it was, who was it? It was Frankfurt, wasn't it? At the Emirates and the draw, the one, one draw. I went down to the training ground the day before that for the, we get, got sort of like 15, 20 minutes of training and the mood around the play, it was unbelievable. You could just tell the player, he was standing on his own with his clipboard and it, you almost felt sorry for him. There was just no relationship there with the players. There was no love. There was no connection relate it was just broken everything just felt broken and I sort of you look at that now to where it is now look at that to where it is now and it's just chalk and cheese what Mikel has done and not just Mikel what Edu has done what the club have done the support they've given him the backing they've given him deserves so much credit and you know this is the best certainly since I've been covering Arsenal by an absolute mile the best mood around the place um everyone's together and it's not it's not just PR it's not just people saying things for the sake of it It is honestly everyone is together everyone is pulling in the same direction everyone believes in the direction the club is going in and um and it's great it's just fantastic to be around and that's what last season was just whenever you spoke to the players after the games even after defeats you just knew that everyone to coin the phrase trusted the process and and they did really did and I think so many people deserve a lot of credit for where Arsenal are right now because you know where they are now from where they were a few years ago is just, it's just remarkable the turnaround. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And um, I have to ask, have you met Win the dog yet? I haven't met Win the dog yet. The one they brought him into the press conference and I wasn't there oh. at, the end of last, at the end of last season. It was one of the press conferences I missed, and they brought him in and everyone everyone saw him and I wasn't there. So I, yeah, I'm very very disappointed. That's your goal for 23-24. Just something you touched on there, I, I want to pick your brains on as well. Being local to the ground and, and close by to the epicentre of, of everything Arsenal, um, talk to me a bit about what happened during that pandemic period when we had the the Cronky protest, because I'm one of those fans, I mean, I'm, I'm long in the tooth now, I'm some probably similar age to yourself, and I I still remember, you know, the, the, the amount of, things that we've been through that as you say through the 80s through the 90s where things were 
were quite bad when we went through the, the troubles that George went through towards the end of his tenure as well. I, I'd never seen anything like those protests about the Cronkies. I, just it was so visceral. It was so just it was just passionate. That is the word, whether you agreed with it or you didn't. And when we saw supporters on top of the armory and everything that went down, especially with what was going on in the world, how was that for you as a fan and, and to report that? Because it's it's changed, it's gone full circle. We're not saying the Cronkies are, you know, the new Mother Teresa, but they have done a fantastic job. It has to be said, they have supported and backed the manager since. Do you feel like that era when you were covering that did lead to this change? Was that the building blocks to this change that's happened? I think so. It's interesting. I was just talking to Simon Collins at a standard about this exact this exact thing and how now, you know, the Cronkies' popularity is it must be now as high as it's ever been when it comes to the uh, to the fan base. Sorry, I was laughing at the picture of Simon Collins. <laughs> yeah, we have them in reserve just in case. <laughs> nice. um, and that, yeah, that game, that Everton game was was a remarkable thing. I think it was a little bit, obviously, the, that the protests were brought on by the Super League around then. It wasn't, you know, had that Super League not happened, the faster the Super League not happened, then, you know, the fans wouldn't have been out there directly protesting about the Cronkies. So I think that was the kind of, obviously, the powder keg behind it all. And, um, and the, yeah, I mean, the change in, in things now is crazy. I, mean, I remember that Everton game... I couldn't even get through because the police wouldn't let me through. And I was like, I've got, I'm working. I'm in the side of the stadium. And he was like, we can't let you through. No one else can get through there now. Cause there was so many people there all protesting. Eventually I got through and I got into the stadium, but it was a remarkable night. And the game was being played and all you could hear was the protest still outside the whole way through it. Cause obviously we we're in an empty stadium and it was just a, a mad, crazy night. And, and they lost as well, which kind of summed it all up. And I, I think it's been a massive turnaround. I think they deserve a lot of credit. I think, when you look at the money that have spent, the how much they've backed the club, um, certainly from when they won the battle of Uzmanov, it is it's clearly you know that that was a big sort of line in the sand almost. I think we've seen two phases of the Cronkies' ownership before Uzmanov, uh, what sorry while Uzmanov was there, and then you know since they won the battle and got full control. And I don't think anyone can look at the money. I don't want to say that they've spent because. You know, we I don't we don't, we're not entirely sure exactly if this is them just dipping into their own pockets or if it's just you know they've kind of found a way of the club borrowing it and it, w- whatever. But they've certainly found a way of backing the manager in a way that we'd never seen before, um, and they do deserve a lot of credit for that. And you know, when I was talking about it's not just Mikel deserves credit. I think everyone from there's such an alignment at the club now. Everyone believes in it. Everyone is pulling on the same page from Mikel from. Edu from Vinay to Josh because uh, we kind of say the Cronkies and Stan, but it's Josh really. You know, Josh is the guy who's who's basically running things at Arsenal. He's the the head guy. Obviously, Stan has, Stan has to sign off, but everything goes through Josh. You know, he's a guy out of the two of them who's really heavily invested in it all. And you know, there's no they're they're more popular now. They have to be than than they ever have been. And you kind of look at some of the other ownership issues that are going on at other top clubs in the country. And you know, Arsenal feels really, really settled now, really settled and secure. And when you think back to that Evan game, which is just a few years ago, a few years ago, it's been a remarkable turnaround. But I do think, like I said, that that those protests were brought on by the Super League, but also the situation we were in in the world and everyone being there was a you know, frustration with everything. Everyone had been cooped up for so long and it all kind of built up to that one dramatic night. And it was on a Friday night as well. Everyone had seen, spent the whole week watching what had been going on at Stamford Bridge and that, those games and the protests that were going on there and it all sort of built up. But 
and it was certainly a passionate night. It was certainly a night where the club, re- the fans, really voiced their opinions in a way that I've never seen before as an Arsenal fan, and it was pretty mad to be at. But I think, thankfully, now it seems it's all calmed down a little bit, and there's not too much that we can really complain about at the moment. No, no, apart from signings, which we'll touch on in a second, or announcements of signings, I should say. can always complain about that. <laughs> it's always complain about that. <laughs> yeah. um, just quickly on that, on the Cronkies, have you met Josh? Have you had a chance to interview him directly? Not or? properly. I mean, if we've said hello and walked past each other at the grounds and stuff, but I haven't been over. He always normally sits down, does something sometimes on the US tour, and I've never been on one of the US tours. So uh, it'll be okay. interesting to see if he does speak this summer. Um, mm. He did He did some. did some interviews last year. So it'll be interesting to see if he does it again this time. Yeah, I appreciate looks aren't everything, but he has the he, he carries himself in a way that sort of it, it just gives you confidence. I, I can't really explain it. Edu's got the same thing as well. I think probably Mikel has. There's just that aura around them, isn't there? Where they just sort of um, I think was it the famous quote when people have said about about Arsene and that he could convince you within ten minutes of any subject mm. he brought up, and I get the feeling there these three are quite similar. Um, I mean, that, that is absolutely true, certainly about Arsene, but about Mikel as well. I mean, Martin Odegaard yeah. spoke about it in his Players' Tribune piece that he did last season. As he said, look, you, you can't listen to him and not come away from that thinking, well, I'm totally behind you. I believe everything he said. And it's true. He's just got that, he's got that, that um, power that Wenger had of just listening to him and thinking, yep, you're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're right. And it's really beneficial. And I think Edu certainly has that as well. When you look at the Cronkies, you know, the success they're enjoying at the moment in terms of their franchises, you know, not just here with Arsenal, obviously they haven't got the silverware to back it up yet at Arsenal, but hopefully that comes. But certainly over in the US, you know, they've won it all in the last few years, basically with all their franchises. So they've, they've, they've stumbled upon a formula that's clearly working at the moment in terms of how they're running their, their franchises and fingers crossed that that happens at Arsenal as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You, you touched on earlier on, you said about you've played Sunday League football. Can you imagine a manager at Sunday League bringing out a light bulb? And can you imagine <laughs> <laughs> it would have taken quite a lot to convince us in those days, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's uh, let's talk about your journey to sort of where you are presently then before we talk about Arsenal in general uh, right now. So the YouTube channel, um, which Danny's put the link uh, to on the chat. So please do go and subscribe if you haven't already and you know what to do. Click the likes, etc. So that was born out of your uh, decision to move on from Football London and go it alone. Um, clearly, I've sort of watched the video since you've been doing it and that you've, you've clearly got a lot of ideas. and There's a lot of things that you still want to do. You've just built the website as well. Where's the um, what is the ultimate sort of end game for that? Is it literally that you want to be um, sort of the go to um, or is it purely just because you want to be involved in the club that you love on your own platform? I think I don't know that. You know, I've been doing I've been doing the YouTube channel for a fair while now, a few years, but it's always been the sort of secondary. And you know, goal was always football under. Then goal were my, you know, that was obviously my job. That's what I was being paid to do. They were my employers, so I had to focus on that. But I just wanted to be able to do my own stuff. As in, I I, I didn't want to be told what I needed to write. And to be fair, I was never always told. You know, I was given a fair bit of creative freedom at, at football under and goal to to you know pick and choose what I wanted to write about, but. I still just wanted, I didn't want, basically I didn't want to have a boss. <laughs> I wanted to be my own boss. I wanted to control things. And I wanted to be able to give Arsenal fans who follow me more of the stuff that I thought they actually wanted to read. And I think at goal, that was my, a lot of the editorial decisions were beginning to change a little bit. And we were having to 
do stuff that we didn't I certainly I didn't really want to do and and then my job was going to change as well yeah the last season I was told I wasn't going to be Arsenal correspondent anymore they wanted me to be the f- London football writer and I was going to have to cover Chelsea and Tottenham and yeah it was just, there was just no way yeah I mean there was no way I was going to do that and I just wouldn't have the passion for it or the, it's just it was never going to happen and so as soon as I heard that I just thought right, this I'm going to go alone and the whole idea of the website and YouTube and moving into podcasting it's just a basic bit I just want to have this whole I, I want to be able to do I still want to write I love writing but I didn't want to have to spend all of my time writing so you know the website's going to give me the ability to write when I want to write and write what I want to write but I'm, it's also going to give me more time to be able to focus on doing more my YouTube, doing more long form type stuff. Like I did an interview with Yapstam the other day and about Jury and Timber and spent a lot of time sort of working on that, producing that. And I just, yeah, I just wanted to, I wanted more freedom to do what I wanted. And I felt like the stuff that I was having to do at goal wasn't really what Arsenal fans wanted to read. And I felt like doing this was going to give me the opportunity to give Arsenal fans the type of content that they wanted to see and a more, a sort of broader range of it as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The, the Appstam interview is very good, actually. Uh, props on that. If you haven't listened to it, do do go and give it a listen because he's certainly seen plenty of of your in timber, who we'll we'll touch on in a second. Um, and then the book. So I want to get this right. So I want to make sure because it's a long title. Um, but Revolution: The Rise of Arteta's Arsenal. How did that come about? Is it again? I, I guess you've almost answered this question already, but it comes from that passion of writing. I guess it's something that you you had a burning desire to do. And Danny's just put the website up there where you can get that. Um, how how does it feel to have a book in itself? I mean, that it, it, it must be awesome knowing that you've published something that will be on the shelves for years or a yeah. digital copy, of course. Yeah, it, it does feel amazing. And it went to the printers yesterday, which was quite an exciting sort of step in it. Obviously, it comes out on August the 31st. Um, I could have done with Declan Rice have been uh, announced before then because we were kind of holding off, holding off because I wanted the ending to basically be kind of about Declan Rice and looking to the future and um, I mean it still is but I had to hedge my bets a little bit and like at the time of going to press Arsenal had agreed a deal rather than actually saying it was done because as much as it is done I didn't want it to you know there was always a chance something had collapsed at the last minute and looked very stupid so yeah it's been an ambition of mine forever I mean I got approached by Harper Collins with the publishers who have been fantastic and I got approached by them around February time with the idea of doing it um and it was an idea i jumped at really obviously we were hoping it was going to have the, the perfect ending the dream ending at, the, at that stage with winning the title but during those early discussions it was always a case of it was going to happen whether they won the title or not it wasn't you know it wasn't reliant on them winning it because the journey's just been so exciting anyway and been such a um and just there's been so much in it, it packed into just a few years that it just deserved a book, I thought. And um, and so, yeah, it's been a lot of fun to write. It's been a lot of stress to write because I was doing it at the time of, obviously, I had my job at the time of goal whilst we were in the middle of a title run at the time. <laughs> Got two young children. So it was one big stress um, that at times I thought, oh my God, I'm never going to do this. And it's kind of like it was like a long car journey, you know, when you sort of start off and you, you've been going forever and you still you look at the sat nav and you still got three hours to go. And you're like, oh my God, how is it? <laughs> it kind of felt like that. And then eventually I got over the brow of the hill and started looking towards the ending rather than the beginning. And and uh, yeah, it was it was it was very special when I when I finished it and I've seen the proof of it now sort of laid out on the pages. Obviously the front cover, which you're showing there, 
now I've seen the back cover now as well. It's gone to the printers. So we're at the very final stages of it. And I think when, when that arrives, when I get first, sent those first few copies and I open it, it's going to be very special. And, um, you know, it's something that I can look back on and it's just another thing that I can tick off that I've achieved in when I sort of set out in this career. And um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward. To, I hope people like it. Um, I really hope people like it because I've spent a lot of time doing it. <laughs> yeah. um, I think they will. I think they will because it's been, you know, as an Arsenal fan, it's been an, an amazing few years. There's been highs, there's been awful lows. You know, Kel's journey's not been easy. He easily could have got fired a couple of times and he couldn't have had any complaints had he got fired a couple of times. I think when you look at, you're looking at his first full season, I think back to around Christmas time, I'll always remember going up to Goodison Park and it was on my birthday, I think, actually December 21st. I'm pretty sure it was my birthday. And Arsenal lost. 2-1 they were four points above the relegation zone at that point and I remember traveling back it was obviously during COVID time London was getting plunged into more restrictions on my journey home and and I just remember thinking he he could go here and he wouldn't have any complaints and but they stuck with him they backed him and now we're reaping the rewards but you know it's been a very bumpy journey and I think the book sort of showcases that all we've obviously got the drama of a Bamiyang of Urzel of Gwenduzi and all, all those sort of things which have factored into it which kind of just again show it's not been an easy journey but Arteta's just stuck to his guns the whole way through he's been so confident in himself and his his the way he'd sort of mapped things out and he was determined that that process that project that he believed in was going to work and we're, we're seeing the fruition of that now yeah yeah I, I hold my hands up i i did think that it wasn't going to work out um i was questioning a lot of things at the time and i think that's the the great thing about um sort of getting older in in the tooth is that you can hold your hands up and go i was wrong it's uh it's an amazing thing that um i think often social media doesn't allow people to do in this modern era just in terms of where we are right now as a club then um We'll talk about the incomings quickly in a second, but just one outgoing, Granite Xhaka. Um, I'm ima- I imagine you would have had some interactions with him sort of before he left. It sounds like he's going to be missed as a personality, not just in the dressing room, but around the players, around the group, um, and by some of the journalists, because he was always a player who'd front up no matter what. Um, were you around sort of in the interviewing stages when the incident happened and that moment? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, there's a dog barking outside my house. Sorry, I have worry. no idea where it's come from. We don't have any dogs living around here, so I have no idea what it's doing. <laughs> um, uh, hopefully it's stopped now. Yeah, I was there. It was a, a day I think no one will ever forget, to be honest, who was inside the stadium that day. It was kind of, um, I think, all the years of frustration of the end of Wenger and the beginning and that period of Unai all, all spilled out in such horrible, brutal fashion, really. And, you know, we all thought that was it done i remember going down sitting in a press conference afterwards and unai you know it was a really tough job for unai then i think it's like what do you do you can't uh, he had to basically criticize what granite had done because everyone knew you couldn't really shouldn't really react like that but in a way i'm sure he thought you know he could understand why granite responded like that as well because it, you know so much had got on with granite and the fans building up to that so yeah, it was it was a horrible day, and I think the redemption story that Granite's done since then is is it's just been amazing. It was just amazing. Like last season, that story was just such a brilliant story, and um, it started the season before that. I think um, under Mikel, because you know Granite was gone; it was absolutely gone 
after that Palace game. And then Mikel arrived. Had Mikel arrived, you know, there was no coming back. Like he said himself, his bags were packed. He was literally going. And then Mikel convinced him to stay. And then slowly but surely, everything just sort of started building up to what we saw last season. And um, he's going to be massively missed. I, I'm not, I mean, I'm not surprised he's gone because of the money. I think 21.5 million is a very good deal for Granit Xhaka given his age and his contract situation. But he is going to be a big, big miss. And Mikel Arteta will know how big that miss is going to be. And his character, his will to win. Um, there's not many people in the squad who who possess what Granite possesses with that. And um, we're going to miss him as journalists. Like you said, he always fronted up and it wasn't an always re- an easy relationship with Granite. We, a few of us waited down after the Wolves game at the end of last season to say goodbye to him. And um, we were hoping to get a bit of an interview with him, but he wasn't willing to do that at that point to say, you know, he was going and all that because it obviously hadn't been announced, but he did come down to just say goodbye. And I thought that was a really nice touch, you know, it was, and, it, and he said to us, look, it hasn't always been an easy relationship, but I think we've sort of grown to get to know each other and, and respect each other. And I think we all did and everyone respected him behind the scenes. And, you know, that's, that's, he's a big, big hole that needs to be filled in that squad. You know, in terms of I mean, in terms of quality, I mean, he's played so well last season, scored goals, set up goals. So Arsenal are going to miss the leadership. They're going to miss that quality player. They're going to miss his goals. So it's a big it's a big hole that needs to be filled. And I think a lot of people don't really appreciate, you know, how you know what Arsenal have let go in Granite Xhaka. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Well said, well said. And in terms of the modern era, um, so we'll obviously we've, we've got the three big names, haven't we? As as yet, only one of them is officially an Arsenal player, as yet, he says. But um, we know about Kai Havertz, who personally I'm, I'm quite excited about. Mm. I know it's gone under the radar a bit, and I know there's the the, the Chelsea sort of smell that <laughs> some people are not comfortable with, but... I saw him at Leverkusen, and I just think he's—I think he's a very Mikel player. I think you've said the same, um, but I think it would be fair to say that a lot of people are excited about Timber and, and indeed Declan Rice, and I guess it's Rice that most people are really keen on. You've shared your views on the podcast, so I don't want you to feel you've got to go over it all again. But it is—it's um, a generational signing, isn't it? It's a statement signing. The fact that he has blatantly chosen, as you said earlier, Mikel and his project over Manchester City, however strong their interest was or or not, it's it's a really big signing, isn't it? Do you think that adds to the pressure of the season ahead, though? Does it does it add to that sort of need for us to go out there and and potentially win a trophy with a player like that on on, on your squad? I think it certainly does. I think there there's definitely going to be a lot more expectation on Arsenal. They're in that position last year that no one expected them to do what they did last year. So the pressure was almost off a little bit, but now they've raised the expectation level so high by what they did last season that, um, you know, all eyes are going to be on them. And the fact they've spent so much money, you know, if, if stroke when Timber and Rice get announced, that's going to be 200 million pounds spent on three players. You know, it's huge money, massive money. And, and so there is going to be extra expectation and increased pressure on them to do well this season, but I think they'll cope with it pretty well. You know, I think Declan Rice is not a player who's going to come in and be bothered about his price tag one little bit. Um, I'm not expecting. You sort of, I said it before. You look at Nicolas Pepe. He never. He was never able to shake off that price tag. He was always 72 million pound Nicolas Pepe. You know, I don't think Declan Rice is going to be 105 million pound Declan Rice. He's just going to be Declan Rice <laughs> because he'll be able to deal with it. And I think it's such an exciting signing. I, I really do. I think he's such a good player. I think Mikel is going to get so much more out of him that we haven't even seen yet. Um, you know, the two of them, I think, are going to work really well together. 
and the same goes for Timber and the same goes for Havertz as well. I think all three of those those signings, you look at what Mikel might be able to get out of them and the levels he might be able to take them to. I think it's really, really exciting. You know, they're not none of them have hit their peak yet. They're all experienced, which is really key, but they're they're young and experienced, um, which uh, which is an exciting thing. And I think I've said it before. I think it's the biggest signing since Sol Campbell, Declan Rice, in terms of what it means on the pitch, but what it means off the pitch. The fact that they've beaten Manchester City and Bayern Munich to a player, you know, City were interested. I mean, City bid for him. They were, they wanted to sign Declan Rice, but it was very very apparent that he wanted Arsenal and. I think you could you can't really pay too much more of a bigger compliment to what's going on at the club right now than that. The fact that you've got the treble winners here in for a player. You've got Pep Guardiola, the best manager in the world right now, in for a player, and yet he still decided to come to Arsenal. And I think that's really that's a massive compliment you can play to what's going on, just as it is the fact that Saka, Martinelli, Saliba are all choosing to extend their stays here. You know, they, those are players that could walk into any club in the world that any club in the world would want to have and would have been banging on the door of their agents saying, what's going on? They've only got years left. Just hold off. Don't sign anything. We'll have you. We'll give you all this money next summer. And yet, despite all of that, they've decided to stay in it and commit themselves to Arsenal. And you know that and the players who want to arrive, I think, just says everything that needs to be said about how the club is perceived, where they are, and the strides that have been taken. So, yeah, really excited about what's going on this summer. I think there's still a lot of work to be done. I think they need to move some players out. After spending £200 million, they're going to have to do that. <laughs> Um, and I think that's going to be interesting to watch because for all the great work that Edu's done, and he's done lots of great work, the struggles to get decent money in for players has been there for all to see. I think he's, for the first time in a while, he's in a position of strength going into a summer to potentially do that. He's got players who are pretty young, who are on the market, who clubs will want, whereas before he was aging players on massive money, so it was always very difficult to do, but he's a little bit different this time around. Um so, yeah, it's been a really great start to the summer for Arsenal. They'll have all three, <laughs> touch wood, they will have all three of those players on board the flight to the US on Sunday. And, you know, that's massive. It's huge for the development. It's huge for the planning for the new season. And um, and fingers crossed they can have as good a summer in the US as they did last summer and take that momentum into the new season. Because, um, cause, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, I know you are a busy man, so we are going to wrap up shortly. We've just got a couple of quick fire questions, if I may, from, mm-hmm. from our chat. Um, two are from Himanshu, uh, which we'll group together. So he asked who your brothers support. Liverpool and Charlton. Oh, cracking. Um, so they, were both, they, were both Liverpool, they were both Liverpool. They're, like, they're older than me, so one's... Get, let me get this right. One's 49, one's 45. And um, so they grew up just before me, the, you know, the all-conquering Liverpool era, you know, where Liverpool, everyone supported Liverpool, like everyone in my era supported Man United, basically. Um, and so, yeah, and one of them continued to support Liverpool, but the other one, my middle brother, was like, uh, he sort of grew to it and thought, well, I can't support Liverpool, I live in London, this is a bit silly, I never go and watch Liverpool. And so he's like, I want to I pick a new team to support, and he didn't want to be classed as a glory hunter, so he didn't want to pick any of the big teams, and he looked around and Charlton weren't at the Valley, you know, they were homeless at that point. And he thought, I certainly can't keep be accused of being a glory hunter if I choose Charlton. <laughs> and so he chose Charlton um, and has just followed him ever since. So, yeah, fair play to him in a way for doing that. It's hard. You often think you can't switch your clubs, but in that circumstance, I think he's actually done kind of the right thing, <laughs> to be yeah. honest. And, and he's followed him ever since, yeah. Good stuff, good stuff. Um, the same person asks, um, are we getting any exclusive stories regarding Mikel Arteta in the book? Uh, we're certainly getting re- exclusive insights into what 
he has done in terms of when he was a, as a player, how the signing, how he arrived at a club, in terms of some of the things he's done behind the scenes. Um, with co- uh, I've got it's, it's, uh, interviews with coaching staff there, former players, those sort of things. So yeah, there's there's be plenty in there that you wouldn't have uh, wouldn't have heard or seen before. Excellent, excellent. You just just left enough there to tempt people in to like it. That's good, good marketing. Um, Clark Orange says, uh, "Do you think Arsenal will be active in the summer or re- remain active in the market for the summer for incomings?" Appreciate, um, you know, there's only so much you can divulge, but do you feel like there's still some work to be done on the incoming side? I think so. I think the attention is definitely going to switch once Rice is in to shifting some players out. I mean, they, they need to. They've spent so much money the last few years. They can't continue to do that without selling some players. So I think they will, they'll switch their attention to that. You know, they've got to sort out Balogun one way or the other, what they're going to do with him. Um, Kieran Tierney, for example, those sort of players, uh, Sammy Laconga, Nuno Tavares, you know, there's lots that need to be sorted out. So I think they've got these, these were their three priority targets. They've got them through the door, they get them on board, then you switch your attention, get a few players out, and then you kind of reassess a little bit later on in the window and, and work out what you're going to do. So it wouldn't surprise me if they go back in. I know last year they sort of stopped at this stage, they signed Sinchenko during the US tour, and then that was it. They didn't sign anyone else. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if they go back in later in the market, you know, potentially for a, another right-sided attacker to provide sort of cover stroke competition for, for Saka. So, um, so yeah, I, wouldn't, I, I certainly wouldn't say for definite that they're done when it comes to incomings. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That there's, there's one I'm keeping an eye on, the lad at Blackburn. I said this in, I think it was in March, and I was like, if they're letting Charlie Patino go and they want to replace sort of a young upcoming player, he's uh, Walton, his name is James Walton. Oh, yeah, yeah. I saw him in the game against Millwall in the... In the uh, yeah, that's exactly yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I think he's a real... I think he's one to keep an eye on, but if anyone asks, we knew that before anybody else. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm just going to take a couple of quick ones here. Um, Danny, I'll do one of yours because you can't have two. So Danny said, in light of recent the recent events with Steve Round leaving, um, do you think that's going to be a problem in any way? And is there any news on whom, who might be his replacement, I guess, as well? No, I don't think it's going to be a problem, to be honest. And I'm not sure if he's going to replace him or not. I, again, in the book, I... Um, I spoke to Andres Georgeson as part of it, who was part of uh, Mikel's coaching staff at Arsenal. They, he brought him in as a set-piece coach from Brentford, but he was headed off to Malmo to become uh, basically sort of sporting director over there. So he left. And I had a good chat with him in the book to sort of get a bit of an insight into the coaching staff and how they all sort of dovetailed together. And he gave some really good quotes on that dynamic between Mikel, Steve and um, Albert and how they all work. And he said the balance was so perfect because they were so different all of them, but they worked together really, really well and balanced each other out. Um, and like Steve, he was much more of a sort of old school, classic English sort of coaching staff member. And I, I think, I was, again, I was speaking to Simon about this and we were saying that you almost feel like a large part of Steve's job was to sort of calm everyone down and get everyone on board. And because there were so many different sort of it's kind of agendas at the training ground when he first arrived but that's all kind of left now everyone's on the same page and you almost feel like his job has become more and more redundant almost as it's gone on and you know you never saw Steve on the touchline never saw him in the technical sort of area with Mikel during matches so it'll be interesting if he replaces him or if he just kind of streamlines that coaching staff a little bit and obviously you've got Albert who's like the main man the main assistant but then you could promote Carlos Cuesta or Molina or someone like that or I know a lot of people are desperate for Santi Gazzola to come back and <laughs> little Santi yeah it's been all over social media ever since Steve went it's like Santi's coming back Santi's coming back and um 
again for the book, I was talking to Bakri Sanya as part of it to get some insight in Mikel. And we were talking about how close Mikel and Santi were. And he, he's convinced that Santi will come back at some point. I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm not sure if it'd be now straight away. But it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up on the coaching staff. But just, you know, he's just retired. I think he probably wants to put his feet up a little bit before coming back off. into it. But, but I think, as I said that about Mikel, when he walked straight from retiring into Pep's coaching staff. So yeah, so true. you never know. But, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't be surprised if Sandy comes back one day and joins the yeah. coaching staff. But whether he'd be a direct replacement for Steve Round, I'm not sure. Him and Sask, still two of the best players I've ever seen in the flesh. Sandy, I've never I think seen Sandy, feet like Santi's are just... Yeah, I think Santi's my favourite my favorite player of the Emirates era. Mm. Um, I think Sesk probably would have been had it not been for the way he left. But um, yeah, Sani was just an absolute magician. He deserved he deserved to win a title. I, I'm yeah. convinced had he not got injured in two of the seasons that he did, that Arsenal would have won a title with, with Sani there. Totally agree. Yeah, totally agree. Um, it's just time for this one last one from uh, from Phil, because it just intrigues me as well. Um, is there a one, one thing that makes Mikel Arteta stand out? I don't think there's one thing, and I think that's what makes him so special. I think there's so, there's so many levels of Mikel Arteta, which make him such a special manager. His man management, his, um, his reading of the game, his understanding of the game, the way he sort of seems to change things up and how there's been a constant... Each season, I think Arsenal have evolved a little bit more under him. I think the additions of Timber, Rice and Havertz, again, point to the next stage of the evolution under Arteta, how there's going to be another little tweak to the system in terms of how Arsenal play. You know, he never stands still. He's always on the... He's always determined to improve. Um, You know, he's just... He's just constantly searching for new ways to get just a little bit more out of his side. And um, I think that's what makes him a really, really special man and really, really special manager. And we touched on it earlier on, his ability just to get people to trust him and to believe in him from what he says. And um, Yeah, I think it's all of that just sort of combines to make himself the manager he is. And so I don't think it's just one thing. I think there's a multitude of reasons which makes Mikel sort of stand out as being this really you know, excellent young and up-and-coming coach who's only going to get better. Yeah, whatever he's doing, it's working and we're, we're here for it. Um, Gilson did ask about when the announcement's going to come. And I, I ju- all I'm going to say is keep an eye on Charles's channel because as soon as it's done, he'll have a video on it. So it will be soon. But um, yeah. Well, yeah, it sounds like the end of the week, doesn't it? At some point. Yeah, I think for Rice, Rice will be the end of the week. I mean, they, they fly out on Sunday and they want him on that plane and he's on holiday till Friday and he's not signed anything yet. So, you know, if they fly out on Sunday, he arrives back on Friday. I think you sort of put the can put the jigsaw pieces together and work out around when it's going to be done. Timber will be done, hopefully, within the next 24 hours. I mean, they play on Thursday night and there's still a hope that he might even feature in that game over in yeah. Germany. So, um, you know, it's impossible. You can never say it with Arsenal when they're going to no. announce something because it changes, honestly, and it changes all the time. But, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure we're not going to have to wait too much longer for Timber and hopefully Rice will follow pretty quickly after that. And I know the away kit divides people, so maybe if you want to get some eyes on the away kit, maybe that's the way to do it. <laughs> Horrible. I, a... I I like my neon, Charles, so I'm I'm all about it. I'm I'm here for it, but I appreciate it. No. Has to be divided a few Honestly, people. it's an abomination. I can't stand it. No, get there it, it off. Is. Get it off the screen. <laughs> I did I did buy the training gear and I went for a run of it yesterday, and it is very nice. So I'm yeah. I'm down for the training gear. Um, um just before we round up, do you wanna give people opportunity? The book is on the screen again. Um just let people know obviously where they can purchase the book from yourself and also about your website and of course the YouTube channel as well. Yeah, well the book's the book's out on the 31st. You can pre-order it now. You can pre-order it from Amazon on WH Smith. 
um, if you go on my social media or I think you've dropped the link in here, you can find the pre-order link for it. I'm actually going up to the offices tomorrow, which is very exciting to meet with the marketing and PR side of things to find out exactly what's planned in the event sort of leading up to the to the launch. So once I find out more about that, I'll of course reveal it all. And uh, hopefully there'll be some events and, and things like that. So yeah, very excited. 31st of August. And um, yeah, you can read all about the work that's been done at Arteta and yeah, you can find me on YouTube or charleswatts.football, the new website, which um, yeah, as I said earlier, ho- hopefully it's going to give me the opportunity to write the type of content that, uh, that Arsenal fans really want to really want to read. Yeah. Look forward to reading it. Are you going to do it in audio form as well? Or is it just, it is. Just yeah. Fun? Yeah. Oh, I was, fantastic. I, I'm not doing it. No. <laughs> I don't think that's right. what a way to ruin it that would be me stumbling over my words all the time. uh so we've got obviously we've got a professional doing that i was choosing choosing who it was the the other day so yeah that's uh you can get that on audio audio as well comes out uh, comes out hardback on the 31st the updated version next year will be paperback um and then you can yeah obviously get it on audio when it's released on the 31st as well brilliant i'm in, I'm in marathon training at the moment so that suits me down to the ground i shall get that in my ears that's fantastic stuff Perfect. um and um off the cuff if we were to pick up one of your books um would you be happy to sign one for us if we wanted to give one away at some point yeah absolutely 100 um i'm presuming there's going to be quite there'll be some sort of signing events going on again i'm i'll know more about this after meeting with them all tomorrow what the plan is but um but yeah absolutely 100 percent fab we'll uh, we'll talk to you about that off air i'm sure but brilliant cool. stuff fantastic well appreciate you've got a lot to do um and naturally the rice signing announcement is all on you and you alone it's nothing to do with arsenal so we'll have to let you get off and get that <laughs> sorted out um but it's been a pleasure charles really appreciate your time um thank you very much for coming on and obviously anytime you want to come back we'd be happy to have you and hopefully we can all celebrate a trophy next season but really appreciate your time and best of luck with the book thanks chris appreciate it mate you're welcome. Take care. So that has been a Bergkamp Wonderland and Arsenal podcast with Charles on screen. As you mentioned, you can pick up his book very soon in both paperback and audio format or hardback, of course. And please do check out his YouTube links uh, that will all be in the tweet or obviously the audio company of this podcast. It'll all be available for you straight away. Please enjoy. Uploads daily. So go and check it out. Have a fantastic rest of your day. Thanks again to Charles. And we will speak to you very soon. Take care. Out it goes to Lee Dixon. Long ball from Lee Dixon. Smith will hold it up. Plays it square to Thomas. And Thomas has goes inside Nickel. And Thomas is there. And Thomas has scored for Arsenal. In injury time, Michael Thomas has scored for Arsenal. A ball played through the gap. Thomas was there. He held off two challenges.